Here at Salem Chapel, we are intentionally trying to go after the work of making and mobilizing disciples of those here in our church. But we also recognize here that Jesus' call to make disciples extends beyond the four walls. In fact, one of the last commandments that Jesus gave in Matthew 28 would define the start of his church and the priority of our lives. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. When we hear that, we recognize that while we are called to make disciples of one another here at Salem Chapel, we're also called to make disciples of those in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, our city, our country, but also, and to quote Jesus directly from Matthew 28, of all nations. Jesus is calling his people to have a heart for the nations and to go send and support those who are laboring to take the good news to the nations. For years as a church, we've done just that. We've supported missionaries and church planters around the world with prayer and training and financial resources. And in prior years, we've been able to send short-term missions teams of our own people to locations in Africa, Europe, Asia, and the Caribbean. However, in recent years, we were unable to send those teams abroad. That's why it brings me such great joy to announce to you that we have a team of people. They've been actively preparing to go to the Dominican Republic with Pathway Dominicana in early March. Our team of 12 flies out on Saturday, March the 4th for a week. We'll be working alongside of local churches in the DR and to build relationships, to serve felt needs and share the good news of Jesus among the people living in the rural sugarcane villages there in the Dominican Republic. We'll also be serving a variety of ways to see where God provides opportunity using the unique gifts and skills that our team has to offer, including hosting a medical clinic, distributing food, doing light construction work, visiting people in their homes, engaging in gospel conversations, and praying together. We'll also be partnering with a local children's ministry to show the love of Christ to children there in the villages. And finally, because we desire to build long-term relationships with the churches, we will also be hosting a dinner for the local pastors and their spouses to show love and to encourage them and to pray over them in their churches and begin forming what we hope and pray are long-lasting relationships between Salem Chapel and the churches there in the DR. If you're like me, then I imagine you're pretty excited about what I've just shared. Our team is only a few weeks out from departure. We're excited, but we want to give you a chance to share in the excitement of what God is opening up for our church there in the DR. So Salem Chapel, I wanna invite you to consider, how can you get behind supporting this team, your missionaries, as they go in obedience to Christ's command? First and foremost, our team desires your prayers as we prepare to go for our safety and God's provision while we are there. This is a new trip for our church, and this is the first team to go, so there are many unknowns. Pray for us that as we serve, we will not only impact lives for the gospel, but while we are there, see the gospel opportunities that God may reveal for the long term. Pray that God will use this time to open our eyes to the urgency of the mission and that we will come back changed and energized about seeing the gospel go forward to the nations. I also want you to consider how you might support this team financially. As you can imagine, sending a team of 12 with supplies is not without cost. Up to this point, our team has faithfully raised their own financial support by first paying out of their own pockets and resources and through those of their friends and family. I'm pleased to share that they were all able to raise the funds needed for the travel and lodging portions of the trip cost, but that's where I want to invite you to participate Salem Chapel. I want to ask you to help us cover the cost for the projects that we have planned for the trip. 
We need roughly $6,000 to cover the supplies for the medical clinic, the cost of the food and water we're distributing, to pay for construction materials, the dinner for the pastors, children's ministry supplies, and other essentials while we're there. Would you please consider partnering with us in this need above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings? Certainly not everyone is always able to go as a missionary, but everyone can have a part in the sending. These are your missionaries, Salem Chapel your representatives of the gospel to the nations. If you'd like to partner together with us in sending the team, you can give online at any time by visiting our website, salemchapel.org give. Select the Give Online button. Just make sure to change the giving category to missions at the top of your donation page. You can also give in person at a weekend service or by mailing payments to the church. Again, just make sure to indicate that your gift is intended for the DR missions trip. Regardless of how you're able to support, if you consider Salem Chapel your church home, I would also like to invite you to join us at either service on February the 26th for a send-off and prayer for this team before they leave on March the 4th. Thank you, Salem Chapel, for your continued commitment to go send and support the call of Jesus Christ to make disciples of the nations. Yeah, can we thank the Lord for that? And we're so, we're so just thrilled that uh, short-term missions trips can begin again uh, with COVID uh, now in the rearview mirror. And man, so excited for this opportunity for people in our church uh, to be able to uh, just experience what it's like to do ministry in a foreign country. Uh, we're so excited about the opportunities that we have as the uh, building uh, behind us goes under construction here, Lord will, in the next month. And obviously the opportunities that will present administering to our community and being mobilized as disciples of Jesus uh, to take what we have learned and to be able to use that to minister in our community. But these opportunities are tremendous as well to be able to take those things and to be able to begin to develop some partnerships uh, that give us accessibility and exposing what does it look like uh, to be able to give the gospel and share the gospel and see the impact of that in countries less fortunate than our own. Next Sunday, you won't want to miss it. We're actually going to have the team that will be going on this trip up on stage. Our elders are going to pray over them and uh, give you an opportunity to see their faces and, and have, uh, again, uh, we'll remind you of how you can pray for them while they're gone. And then we look forward to hearing uh, just stories about what God did in and through their lives when they returned. So that's a very exciting thing. First uh, Samuel chapter 25 is where we're going to be this morning. If you are new with us, let me introduce myself. My name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. If you're watching us online, let me thank you so much for, for uh, joining us as well. Hey, if you're new, I know it's not easy to come into a new place. Um, I've done that recently as I was visiting some churches a few months back uh, as my daughter gets ready for college in the fall. And so it's a good reminder of what it feels like to be in a new place. So if that's you, let me thank you so much for doing that today. And uh, we have been in this series entitled Give Us a King. We're walking through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we, we, we started that in the middle of October of 2022. And Lord willing, we will wrap that up on March 5th. And then let me also let you know this, 
this March 12th is going to be a very uh, exciting time and a special time. It's the first time we've ever done anything like this. We've had worship praise type services in the evenings and asking you to come back for those. But one of the things that, that I really feel led of the Lord is as we wrap up this series, give us a king for us to have a concentrated time in our service um, in addition to what we already do to really just worship and praise the Lord that he is our king. Uh, we're also gonna have uh, one of our friends, Demetrius Hicks. He's actually uh, a pastor down at New Creation Fellowship. That's the church plant that we're helping down in Orlando. We've, if you call this place your home, we've had Recab and we've had Ike, two of their pastors come up and preach for us. Demetrius, one of the roles that he has is he oversees the worship aspect of their church. Demetrius is such a talented individual. He's a recording artist and so he's gonna join our worship team. Let me just say, you do not wanna miss that. That whole morning will be geared around this theme that Jesus is our king just like our series has been. And so uh, 9 and 11, same times, but it'll be a little bit different than what we normally do inside of this room. And I'm looking forward to that as well. So 1 Samuel 25, let me set the stage for us as we unpack this chapter. Uh, Many of you have read it before. We have a reading plan that I want to make note of, even though we're at the end of a series. I encourage you to grab one if you haven't. You can grab it at the Welcome Center when you walk out. If you're watching online, you can grab it on our website under the teaching tab. You would have already read this chapter. And so if you were like me, I read this chapter, I'm like, oh boy, Uh, there's some interesting things happening inside of this chapter, not that there haven't been already. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, here's what you find. There's a lot of crazy things that happen uh, that by no means does God condone those crazy things. Uh, Some of those things we're going to speak on this morning, but there's really three characters, three essential characters in this chapter. You have this individual named Nabal, which we'll talk about. You have David, which has been someone we've been talking about throughout this series. Um, You have Saul briefly mentioned, but but really the third character, if you want to say that person in the story that's highlighted, is this woman named Abigail. Who, just to give you a teaser, Abigail is, is the one uh, that has some character traits and, and, and decision-making in this chapter that we would, we would praise, and unfortunately, Nabal and David, not so much. And so that's where we find ourselves. And so as I read through this chapter again this week and said, Lord, what do you, what do you want us to really focus on? Let me give you the title of the message this morning. It's simply this, Poor Decisions. Poor decisions. And I want to give this idea to you that we will unpack and and you'll see from Scripture as we work through this chapter, this idea that prolonged adversity can make you vulnerable to poor decision making. When you've been experiencing adversity for a prolonged amount of time or uncertainty for a prolonged amount of time, We need to acknowledge the reality that we are vulnerable to making poor decisions. Doesn't mean that we will, but we're vulnerable to it. We gotta acknowledge that. We've talked for the past two weeks because the scriptures have led us this way to find that David is running for his life from King Saul who wants to kill him because David is is going to be the next in line and Saul is jealous of that reality And God has given David favor and he's given him victories uh, up to where we've seen ourselves. But now David's running for his life. 
Most people believe for many months and even years. So David is experiencing all of this adversity, all of this uncertainty. And so what's, what, what, what that reminds me of is it's impossible for us to walk through that and to experience that and not also acknowledge the reality that during that time, yes, God is teaching us things and he's growing us, but we've also got to understand and acknowledge and, and just embrace the reality that we're also in a very vulnerable state. And that vulnerability, if we don't acknowledge it in and of our own strength, can lead us to making some poor decisions. And so what I want to do this morning and the time that we have is I just want us to look at three poor decisions that can be made by us. It's made by Nabal and David and Saul in this particular chapter in the midst of prolonged adversity. And so I just want to stop. I know we just prayed, but... I want us because here's what I've found in my own life. That oftentimes I don't realize that I've made poor decisions until after I've made them. And rarely do we have the self-awareness to admit I'm vulnerable right now. I'm not in the greatest spot. Is that, am I where God wants me? Yes, I am. Is God my protector and provider and is his presence with me? Yes, it is. But I also have to acknowledge the reality that I'm also fragile during this time. And it's in that fragility, that vulnerability, that I can be susceptible to making poor decisions, even sinful decisions. And so what I want us to do is I just want us to stop and I want us to take whatever you are facing right now, whatever that is, And I want you to pray this, Lord, would you help me to see, to hear from your word what what pertains to maybe the decisions that are in front of me that I want to make, that I may make, or maybe that I have made. And help me to be able to discern by listening to you, by hearing you, by seeing from your word that those are wise decisions, or maybe those are poor decisions that I don't need to make. So would you go to the Lord? Let me just give a moment of silence, and then I'm going to pray for us, okay? And we're going to go to God's Word. But I just want to take a moment, and I want us to acknowledge that Whether we may personally realize it or not, the chances are the majority of the people in this room and watching online are experiencing some aspect of adversity or uncertainty. That could have been a reality starting today or it could have been going on for years, months, weeks, whatever the case may be. And Lord, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you for your power through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your provision through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and you, God, as our Father. But Lord, help us to have the self-awareness that of the vulnerability and fragility that we have to take matters into our own hands to make decisions that are not motivated from your word or from your spirit, but maybe motivated by something else. 
So Lord, would you guard our hearts, and in guarding our hearts, may our ears and our eyes be open to what you want us to hear and what you want us to see. Lord, when your word is open, your mouth is open. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at this passage of scripture. The first poor decision comes from verses two through 11. Let me just say, uh, since I'm reading verses two through 11, I might as well read verse one. Verse one is probably the most succinct eulogy ever given to someone who had accomplished so many things. I mean, Samuel was, was a hero of the faith, but verse one is just reminded of, of the fragility of life and how quickly we can be forgotten. But it says, now Samuel died. And all Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him in his house at Ramah. It could be a whole message of, in and of itself. But verse two, so then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. I'll put the map up here in a, in a little bit so you can kind of get an idea of where these events are taking place. Verse two, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel and the man was very rich. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of that man was Nabal and the name of his wife was Abigail. And the woman was discerning and beautiful. Like, like those are two characteristics that, especially the discerning piece that we're gonna see play out here in this chapter. But the man, description of Nabal, look at this, was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him and He's telling him to say these things, peace be to you and peace to your house and peace to all that you have. So David is coming in this humble state, 10 servants. We don't know why uh, specifically uh, they need this, but evidently it's some idea of protection. Verse seven, I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm and they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. So somehow though we're not given the way or why, David is protecting the shepherds, which are essential to the shearers, which is where Nabal is getting his income from. Verse eight, ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So David's in a situation where, where he's, remember they're running for their lives. He has, he has 600 men with him. And so he's asking Nabal, hey, we protected your shepherds so that you could have wool and that your income wasn't impeded upon and you didn't lose your resources and you didn't lose your riches. So would you be willing to be able to give us food and give us things that we need because after all, we helped you? Verse nine, when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants. Remember, David, I just described what he, what he did for Nabal. Who is David? And who's the son of Jesse? Now, mind you, Nabal would know who David was who his dad was, he would have probably had an idea of what David had done up to this point. But look, there are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat? If you, if you write in your Bible, I would circle those three words, my. 
that I have killed for, there's again, my shearers, and give it to men who come from I do not know where. So do you see Nabal's, Nabal's posture here? Not one of gratitude. But here's the first decision that I see from this passage of Scripture that we can be vulnerable to make in the midst of prolonged adversity. Number one, decisions motivated out of insecurity. Insecurity. Now, remember I said we'll show the map here, so let's put the map up here so we can get an idea of what has taken place. You see these other descriptions of things that have happened that we talked about up through last week, but right now, right here, remember it's described in the verses that we read. This is right in this idea of Maon where David finds himself with Nabal and protecting Nabal's shepherds, his resources. Now, here's what you need to understand. Nabal literally means this, fool. I think this is a pretty safe bet in this room. Nobody's named their kid Nabal. I've actually never heard it. Maybe it's out there, but I have not been exposed to it. And if it is, the parents probably didn't know that it means fool. Like it literally would be like this. Hey, hey, my name's Johnny. What's your name? Well, my name's Fool. Can you imagine like in the lobby all of a sudden running into someone? I mean, I would be smiling outside and inside I would be doing what I've learned is done in North Carolina. God bless you. (laughs) But that's literally what his name means. And unfortunately, his actions follow the meaning of his name. I don't know if his mom didn't like him or his dad didn't like him, but that's his name. Here's what Nabal does. He dismisses the generosity of David, and instead what he does is he sees it, David's generosity, as something that benefits him in order to keep everything that he has possessed. He doesn't see it as, man, David, thank you so much. He sees it as, oh, this is just another way that I can keep what I have. Here's what we need to understand about insecurity. Insecurity causes you to make decisions based on what you may lose rather than a posture of gratitude. Nabal's described as a very rich Man, but he's also described as a man who was harsh and badly behaved. Now, it's not explicit in this passage of scripture, but we can assume, and I think assume safely, that Nabal got his security from what he possessed. And if you this morning are finding yourselves getting your security by anything other than who Jesus Christ sees you as, listen, if that's me this morning, I'm an insecure person. Because my possession, my platform, whatever it may be, that can be taken away from me and I fully am aware of it. And if I'm looking for those things to define who I am, especially in the midst of adversity and uncertainty, I am going to be prone, be vulnerable to make decisions out of what I may lose rather than decisions after motivated by what God has given me. 
gratitude. David was a sign to Nabal of God's goodness and graciousness and mercy that God actually sent David to be a testimony to Nabal that everything, Nabal, that I have given you is from me and I've actually, out of my grace and mercy, provided the means by which you don't lose what I've given you. But what I've found is when we're in the midst of adversity and uncertainty, man, it's so easy for us to make decisions based out of insecurity. What am I gonna lose right now? And those, that insecurity causes us not to be grateful, but rather to be greedy. Because everyone and everything is a threat. What's your angle? What's your motivation? Because we're on guard, because everything may be, it seems to us as, as uncertain and falling around us. So any help that we do get, it's like, what's your angle? What do you want? What's your agenda? This can't be sincere. And we can be prone to make decisions out of insecurity because so much of the time, if we're not careful, when we're in adversity and we're in uncertainty, the focus is so much on us and the problem that we can miss the means by which God is trying to show us that of his help by the people around us. See, insecure decisions hurt more than just you. That's what I've found. That's what I've found in when I've made decisions out of insecurity. They hurt more than just me. They also hurt those under your care. Because what we're gonna find here in just a moment as we continue to read this chapter is these decisions by God's grace did not lead to the consequences that could have happened because Nabal's decisions could have led to his entire household being wiped out. Which that in and of itself would have been a bad decision, but nevertheless, his decisions had unfortunate and sinful consequences because unfortunately, even his wife was affected by these decisions of Nabal. Because she, even she acknowledges the shortcomings of her husband's character to David himself. Decisions motivated out of insecurity. Now here's the difficult part. It's, it's hard to have the self-awareness to know whether or not you're making decisions motivated out of insecurity. Because after all, our default is, that's not me. That's not me. And we're gonna touch on here in a moment on how we guard our hearts from that, but I want you to first understand and see in this passage of scripture through Nabal that unfortunately he was making poor decisions. What type of decisions? Decisions motivated out of insecurity. Here's the second uh, poor decision that can be made in the midst of prolonged adversity if we're not careful, and look at verse 12 and 13. So here's David's response, which is not good. So David's young men turned away and came back to him and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword, exclamation point. And every man of them strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword. So all of my crew, 
We're strapping up. We're going out. We're going to take this guy down. I don't see anywhere where it says David prayed about this. <laughs> and about 400 men went up after David. So 400 guys are going with him, and he leaves 200 to stay with their stuff. Verse 21. Now David had said, now, now he's saying this when, when Abigail's about to come and approach him. So, so let's just, we're gonna talk about Abigail here in a little bit, but I just want you to see verses 21 and, and 22 because you see David's heart right now. Verse 21, now David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has had in the wilderness. In other words, I did this to help him and I did it all in vain so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. Verse 22, so God do so to the enemies and David and more also. In other words, if I don't do this, like there's how sure I am that I'm gonna do this. Like God do to us if I'm not gonna follow through with this. In other words, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Like David's hot, he's angry. And see, that's a second poor choice that can be made in the midst of prolonged adversity if we're not careful. Decisions motivated out of anger. Anger. Not only insecurity, but anger. Here's what we need to understand about anger because I th think sometimes what we think to ourselves is, where's this anger coming from? I'm just angry, but I'm not sure why I'm angry. It's a great question to ask when you are feeling certain emotions. It's like, why am I? And you may not have the answer, but here's what I want to do is help you with anger. Anger is rooted in this, in a belief that you have not received what you deserve. It's really rooted in that. It's a belief. Because our actions are driven by beliefs, good or bad. It's a belief that you have not received what you deserve. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I haven't been given the respect that I believe I deserve. And so you're angry about it. That would be David. We see in this chapter that David actually acknowledges that, that he feels like this is an insult from Nabal. So maybe it's respect this morning that you believe you should get from somebody and you didn't get it and you feel actually marginalized and you're angry about it because it's rooted in a belief that you haven't gotten what you deserve. Maybe it's gratitude. That would be true of David. Like all I wanted was a thank you. Like I did that and they didn't write me a thank you note. Which I know is a thing that's not normally done anymore but still a good gesture. Whatever it is, like I did this and you didn't thank me for it. And I'm angry about it because I deserve that. Maybe it's resources. I did this, so therefore I thought I should have gotten this from my boss, whoever it may be, and you're angry about it. And you've just, you're like, why am I angry about it? Why am I so upset about it? Because you believe that you haven't gotten what you deserve. Maybe it's relationships. Like I did this for my spouse and my spouse has not returned this in the way that I think that they should or whatever relationship you may have. Anger is rooted in the belief that you haven't gotten what you deserve. Let me give you a common illustration of this. 
I don't know, this was a couple months ago. I can't remember exactly what it was, but unfortunately I had to do what I loathe to do. I had to call customer service. And I can't even right now remind you, I can't even remember what actually, why I had to call customer service. I can't remember why, but I do remember vividly the way that I responded to that customer service agent on the line. And I remember I was on the line with this person and we didn't have a good connection and so it was very hard to understand and all that. And at the end of the day, I didn't wanna call customer service because I knew this was gonna be a long ordeal. I already had prepared my mind for it. I tried to be spirit-filled in this moment and let me just tell you the end of it, I failed miserably. (laughs) And I remember I literally said this words to the customer service agent. I said, can I actually speak with someone that's not reading the answers off of the laminated piece of paper that's pinned to your cubicle, please? Don't think bad of me because you've done it too. (laughs) And I remember I got off that phone call and I thought to myself, oh man, did I blow it. Thank God I did not tell them I was a pastor and where I was a pastor at. (laughs) And if I could have picked up the phone and called that person back and known that I would have gotten that person, I would have apologized. So, you know, I would love to say if that person is watching, but they probably get a million of those calls a day. The point is this. Why did I get angry? Because I wasn't getting what I deserved. And as inconsequential as that illustration is, I could play that out in a million other reactions that I've had out of anger that are much more significant to where I did not react the wrong way. I made decisions motivated out of anger because at the end of the day, you didn't give me what I deserved. But when I dive down deeper and I look at those moments of much more significance outside of a customer service call, but moments in my life of adversity and uncertainty, you know who I was really angry at? I was angry at God because I believe that God didn't give me what I deserved. And so sometimes when we approach these Old Testament characters, we can deify them. And I think we've tried to do an intentional job not to fall in that trap as we've looked at David. And this would be a prime example of why we shouldn't deify David as we see some of his decisions here. But I think we can't gloss over the fact that he's been running for his life for a prolonged amount of time. And he's vulnerable. And though we're not told that, this, that, that David thought this, I think we can assume at least and draw the application of David thinking to himself, like, like, I'm running for my life. I'm thinking all the time that, yes, God, I know you're with me, but I haven't done anything to ask for this kingship. I haven't done anything to make Saul uh, give him any reason to hunt for my life and to want me dead. All I've done is good for Saul. I, haven't, I didn't even try to kill Saul when he was in a vulnerable spot. And all I'm having to do all day long is think about how can I save my life and now I'm responsible for 600 men and their families and David is in this vulnerable spot and so all it takes is one guy to slight him and he loses it. Ever found that? It's like the straw that's like, in and of itself, like I don't remember what was going on in my life that day when I called that customer servant agent, but I can promise you that customer servant agent wasn't the one that made me fly off the handle. There was something else going on. It just happened to be the st- proverbial straw 
that broke the camel's back. And I wonder if this was the case with David. Because when we look at this situation, we would say, David, you've responded so well to so many other things. Really? Nabal not giving you some food is what took you over the edge? Yeah, why? Because he was vulnerable. And I think we got to acknowledge this as well, that oftentimes anger is not only rooted in what I believe I don't deserve, but that also ties into the idea, because I haven't gotten what I deserved, I'm really hurt. I'm hurt. I'm hurt by God. I'm hurt by someone else. And deep down, I've got a deep wound of hurt. David was hurt here. He says, this guy exchanged my good with evil. And when I'm hurt, and I don't take that hurt to Jesus, when I'm hurt, my default will be to make decisions that are all about my self-preservation. Rather than what's good for the whole. And the reason why that's the case is because when I'm vulnerable, and I'm hurt, and I don't, and it stems from I don't believe I've gotten what I deserve, I fall into the trap of believing that the only one who will care for me is me. And that's a dangerous place to be. Listen to me, I've uttered these words before myself. I'm at the point where I believe that the only person that I can trust is me. And I knew that wasn't a good conclusion, but I still made it. And at the end of the day, it was driven by anger. At the end of the day, David's decision-making here was motivated out of anger. And I wonder how many of us are right at the precipice, maybe, of making a decision that's motivated by that and we don't even know it. Here's the third decision. Look at verse 40 through 44. We're gonna kind of jump to the end of this chapter and focus on the poor decisions before we get to how we can guard our hearts against, against these decisions. Verse 40, look at what happens. It says, when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David sent us to take you to him as his wife. So here's what we don't have time to read this morning that you could read in this chapter. Uh, Nabal ends up having a heart attack. It says his heart became stone and he died 10 days later. And so Abigail doesn't have a husband, which by the way, David isn't exactly like uh, mourning this loss. Let's just say that. He's like, good. This guy got what he deserved. But Abigail doesn't have a husband. So verse 41, and she arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey and her five young women attended her. So well, we, Nabal was a very rich man. So, so Abigail had riches as well. You wouldn't have that if you didn't have a donkey and have five young women as your bridesmaids, just culturally. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Verse 43, David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel and both of them became his wives. Look at what Saul, Saul had done. Verse 44, Saul had given Michael, his daughter David's first wife, to uh, Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galam. 
Now here's what you need to understand in the Old Testament. You find this happening a lot of people having multiple wives. What we need to understand is that was a cultural thing, but just because it was a cultural thing doesn't mean it was God's intended purpose. And God was happy about it. He condoned it. We see in Genesis 3, what was God's purpose? That, that a man and a woman would be married together. One wife, uh, one husband together, one flesh. And unfortunately, during these times that we find ourselves, women were treated like commodities. They were treated like assets. So you want to make a treaty with someone? Well, let me have you marry my daughter. You want to make a treaty with a nation? Well, then you marry uh, that king's daughter. Well, if you for, for Abigail... She didn't have a husband, which meant she was vulnerable. She couldn't provide for herself. She had no protection. So I just want to make that clear so when we approach a passage of Scripture like this, we don't see that God's condoning this behavior even though it happens, but actually decisions are based out of culture rather than God's word, which God help us because we can have the same propensity today. So I want to make that clear because the vulnerability and the mistreatment of women in the Old Testament is by no means condoned by God. It actually reveals how much we need Jesus. But Saul chooses, hey, I'm gonna give Michael to someone else so that I can make a treaty with that person so that I can actually uh, assemble more resources because at the end of the day, I know that David is gonna be the next king and I'm doing everything that I can to keep what I have. And David finds himself marrying two women. Now let me point out here the decisions in this chapter, chapter and their motivations because when I read verses 40 through 44, here's the third decision that I see that's a poor decision that we can be vulnerable to in the midst of prolonged adversity. Decisions motivated out of loss. Loss. Insecurity, yes. Anger, yes but also loss. Why do I say that? Well, let me point out to you these decisions that were motivated out of what one has lost. Nabal, he makes a decision of unsecurity because in his mind, he's lost his prowess. He's lost his street cred because he needed help to protect what was his. So therefore, I've gotta make a decision that's motivated out of insecurity to keep what I have, so I'm not gonna be generous, but my point is this, Nabal felt like he lost some of his reputation, so therefore he made the decision he did because he felt like he lost something. Saul has lost the favor in the eyes of the people and God. So because of that loss, he makes a decision to make a treaty with someone else and he gives David's wife to somebody else. David loses his wife, Michael, who I'm sure he loved. He lost her, so what does he do? I'm gonna take not just one wife, but two. I'm gonna get more than I lost. And we've gotta be so careful when we've experienced loss to understand that we're vulnerable to making poor decisions. Decisions motivated by out of loss often, not always, but often if we're not careful, are made to distract 
ourselves from dealing with the grief of that loss. I've been honest with you before and tra- or transparent with you before. It's a better word, transparent with you before about how I had a counselor tell me like, well, have you grieved over that? And me saying, well, I don't know how to answer that question, so therefore that's telling me I haven't. And had to understand in a better way how to grieve over loss and take time and take that to God and his word and allow it to speak and meet with others that I know that I trust and, and that I know that, that have a heart for the Lord as well and have them speak into those things and take time to grieve over what I lost. Understanding that that's so important to do because I'm in a vulnerable position to make decisions that are, just, that are just at the end of the day maybe made to distract me from dealing with that loss. Or maybe not to distract me, but to numb me from dealing with the pain of that loss. And John 10, 10 says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil is a roaring lion walking about, looking to see who he can devour. And the point this morning is to understand that is God teaching you things in adversity? Is God showing you his faithfulness in the midst of adversity and uncertainty? Absolutely. But at the same time, I've got to acknowledge that I'm vulnerable in the midst of uncertainty and adversity. And given to my own devices, I can make decisions that later on I may regret. Because they're motivated out of insecurity or anger or maybe me not taking the time to deal with the loss that I've experienced. So in the time that we have left, here's what I want to quickly give you. How do you guard, how do we guard our heart from making these poor choices? And I think Abigail is an example, not the example, but an example. Because look at verse 23. What does Abigail do? It says, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey. This is when she hears about David's like 400 men are coming to kill her husband. She hurried down and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. You know how we guard ourselves against making poor decisions in the midst of adversity? Man, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to humble ourselves. What Abigail does in these verses gives us some instruction on how to do that. What did she first do? She let go of what she believed she deserved. She's described as a woman of discernment. She's not described as a fool. She's not described as Nabal, as a worthless man who's harsh and behaves very badly. No, she's described as a woman of character. She didn't do anything to deserve this, but look at verse 24. It says, she fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Nabal hasn't died yet. She doesn't say, forgive my stupid husband. Now, she does acknowledge that he's not the best guy. But she says, David, let this be on me. She actually does what neither of these men did. And there's times where part of the humility that we need to exercise is that we just say, God, I'm gonna let go of that anger of what I believe I didn't receive. And I'm not talking about 
when we've been harmed or whether we've been abused, whether that's emotionally, physically, spiritually. I'm not talking about those things. We need to be wise in those things and obviously protect in those, but I'm, I'm talking about when we don't get the respect we deserve, when we don't, when we don't get the resources we deserve, when, when God doesn't do something that we think he should have done. Man, we've got to let go of what we believe we deserve. Here's the second thing. We need to take time to serve somebody else. Look at what Ab Abigail does in verse 27. She says, now let this present that your servants has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. What does she do? She, she, she assembles all of these resources and makes this journey to David and his men. And she says, here, I wanna give you this. I wanna serve you. Remember, she didn't do anything wrong, but she humbles herself and she looks to serve. And you know what I've found in my life is that in prolonged adversity, it is so easy for me to be so self-focused on myself. And I don't say that to minimize the adversity or uncertainty at all. But you know what oftentimes can help you in the midst of it is making a decision saying, you know what, I need to serve somebody else. I need to think about somebody else. You know what I've found in my life when I take that moment to say, well, how are you doing? What's the need that you have? How can I serve you? It actually brings me up out of that despair. And that's what Abigail does. She says, no, no, I'm gonna humble myself. I'm gonna let go of what I deserve. I'm gonna serve you, David. But here's the next thing that she does. She reminds David that God is accomplishing a greater purpose in his life. And we've gotta rest in that. But that only happens when we humble ourselves. God, I gotta remind myself that you're at work. And why do I say that? Because in verse 30 and 31, she speaks truth into David's life. She reminds David of what God has promised him. Look at what she says. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, when the Lord does that, David, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation for himself. And when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your servant. What is she saying? David, let me remind you, let me be a mouthpiece of God for you, of what God has called you to. So don't do this. Don't make this poor decision that's motivated out of anger or loss or insecurity. David, don't do it. Guard yourself against it. Humble yourself, just like she was doing. Just like we need to do. We're gonna humble ourselves. But this isn't in this chapter but it's the whole point of the Bible. We not only need to humble ourselves, but we can't humble ourselves without doing this, looking to Jesus. The whole point of this series is the answer to the question that our hearts are always asking. God, give me a king. And we've gotta understand that that king is Jesus. He's the one that we look to in those times where we're like, what choice do I make? Is my choice a good choice, a God-honoring choice, or is it a sinful choice or a poor choice? Because sometimes our decisions necessarily are, are sinful, but they can be poor. And the way that we guard our heart against that is humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I gotta look to you. I've been looking to this person who's wronged me. I've been looking to this person who's just feeding my flesh and telling me what I wanna hear. Because by the way, let me, just be, let me just be transparent as well. We can always find people who agree with us. Always. I can find those people all day long. 
But God, let me avoid that in, in trying to assemble an army that agrees with my poor decision and God, help me to look to Jesus. Let me remind you of what Jesus endured for you. He faced physical adversity. We've got Jesus in experiencing 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness without food, that he brought himself to his most vulnerable place so that he would understand what it's like to endure temptation, just like you and me. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was abused. He knows what it's like to journey down a place that looks like a complete place of despair and no hope as he journeyed to that cross and he hung on that cross. He faced humiliation, he was naked, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was spit upon, what's the point? Jesus knows what it's like to go through physical adversity. Jesus also knows what it's like to go through emotional adversity. He knows what it's like to be in his most vulnerable place as he spent time in that wilderness and he was tempted with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He put himself through that. He knows what it's like to have the loss of family. Remember, John the Baptist was martyred. That was, that was his cousin. We're not told in scriptures what happens to his physical father, Joseph, but tradition tells us that he passed away sometime before Jesus died on the cross because he's not there. He knows what it's like to experience loss of family. He knows what it's like to be misjudged and his motives to be called into question. That's what the Pharisees did all the time with Jesus. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He was betrayed by someone that he invested three years into that lived with him, that slept by him, that Jesus loved like his own and he was betrayed. What's the point? Jesus knows what it's like to have prolonged emotional adversity and Jesus knows what it's like to experience spiritual adversity. Once again, that time in the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil himself. A time where Peter wants to tell him, don't go to the cross and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, and knows that the enemy's trying to plant thoughts even from those that he loves and loves him. He knows what it's like to experience spiritual adversity in the garden of Gethsemane as he sweats great drops of blood. What's the point? The reason why we look to Jesus is because I can never say this to Jesus as a follower of his. Jesus, you don't know what it's like. You can't say that. I can't say that. And outside of the cross that demonstrates his love in the most supreme way, the fact that he allowed himself for 33 years to put himself from the, through those things so that you and I would never be tempted and believe and say, Jesus, you don't know what it's like. Actually, we know that we can't say that. And that's what makes Jesus' love all the more special. That's why I look to him. That's why Hebrews 12, 2 says, I look to Jesus. I can't look to you, you can't look to me, I can't look to my spouse who I love, to my kids, they can't look to me ultimately as the example because I'm just as vulnerable as they are. But I look to Jesus who's the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So where are you at today? I just want us to take a moment and I want us just to spend time with God. And whatever it is that you prayed with at the beginning of this message, would you just say, Lord, would you help me to see where I may be lending myself or leaning to making some poor or even sinful decisions and where you're calling me is to humble myself and look to you. You just talk to the Lord about whatever it is and I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. I'm so easily prone to make decisions out of insecurity or out of anger or even loss. And Lord, may each of us who have listened to this today or maybe later on in the week, whenever that is, Lord, may we allow your word to be the thing that draws us to humbling ourselves and points our eyes back on you. May we let go of what we believe we deserve. May we be cognizant of others that may need to be served, even in the midst of our troubles. And Lord, may we rest in the reality that God, you're working even when we don't see it. God, we look to you. God, forgive me, forgive us for looking to so many other people or things to validate, Lord, our poor outlook or even decisions. And God, may we look to you understanding that there's grace and help in our time of need when we draw with confidence to your throne. Lord, that's what we do in this moment, and I pray it's what we'll do later on today and throughout this week and in the days to come. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Would you stand with us this morning?